I want you to picture with me, if you would, picture with me that moment when you're about to board a roller coaster. Now, some of you may not like roller coasters, but I'm just going to ask you, ask you to picture whatever size roller coaster you want to picture. So if you don't like roller coasters, just picture a small one. And if you're like me and you feel like they can't build one tall enough and fast enough that you won't go on it, you can picture that as well. But you know that what it's like, you wait in that line and then you get up to your little gate and you walk in like a horse about to run uh, a race and that door opens and you go and you sit down in that seat and you pull the bar to your waist or you buckle the seatbelt around you or if you're on a good one, you pull that shoulder harness over your head. And then the train starts to move. And you hear that familiar clicking of the chain, or maybe if it's a newer roller coaster, it's the silent sound of a hydraulic lift as it pulls you up the track. But you hear that noise, or you hear nothing, and you travel up that hill, and you get to the top. Now, maybe your hill is 20 feet in your mind, maybe your hill is 200 feet in your mind, but either way, whether it's a small roller coaster or a big roller coaster, you get to the top of the hill and all of a sudden you realize that that chain is no longer pulling you or that lift is no longer lifting you. And there's this moment where half the train hangs over that first hill and the momentum of the back half coming up over the top hasn't quite happened yet. And there's this moment where it's almost like time pauses and you realize that everything is about to change. Everything is about to turn. This is the pivot point where everything that was happening that was so peaceful is now changing and everything's going to be different moving forward. I think every uh, story that we like to either watch on a screen or every story that we like to read has points like that, turning points, where action takes us to a certain point and then all of a sudden there's this thing that changes everything and moving forward from that point, everything is different. It's that moment in a story or a movie where it looks like the villains are about to win and then all of a sudden the superhero shows up and you know everything's going to be different. Or it's the moment in that movie where hope looks lost and the couple that is perfect for each other are never going to get together and then all of a sudden they run into each other across a crowded train station. It's the point in the movie where it looks like they're never going to be rescued and all of a sudden a rescue helicopter appears on the horizon or the point where they're down by a run and the guy that's never gotten a hit is up to bat and all of a sudden he connects and the ball flies over the fence. You know those points in the stories that we like, the point when it looks like evil is going to win and Han Solo shows up just in time to allow Luke to defeat the Death Star. Those points in movies, the turning points. The pivot points. We have those kind of points in life too, don't we? Where things happen and there's this feeling that from this point on, things are going to be different. That they're not going to be the same. Uh, Just on Friday, I was at a college commencement ceremony. And maybe uh, you attended one this weekend. If you didn't, we know that there's uh, maybe hundreds of them happening just in our part of the country alone. And so there was a, the commencement ceremonies are happening, and these are, are, are branded as turning points. That's what you hear over and over and over again. This is a turning point in your life, getting this degree, getting this, this education, a turning point for you. And we have those moments in our lives, pivot points, turning points. 
And this morning, in the, in the few minutes that we have together, we're going to talk about an extremely important turning point. In fact, I believe that in history, this is the most important turning point that has ever happened. And also for us as individuals, coming here today, it has the ability and the power to be a great turning point this morning in your life and in my life as well. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been walking through Paul's letter uh, to the church in Rome. So the Apostle Paul was a guy who planted a lot of churches just after Jesus lived on this earth. And one of the ways he stayed in touch with them, with them is he wrote letters. And so we've been looking at the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. If you have a Bible, it would be in there as the book of Romans or, or the, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And we've been walking through that book together. Now, what we've established as we've walked through the first three chapters or so of that book over the last few weeks is we've established, or Paul has established for us, that he believes that we all have a problem that we cannot solve on our own. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you might have been saying to yourself, when are the sermons going to say something different? I've been here the last three weeks in a row, and the sermons have all been on the same thing. Well, Paul takes these first three chapters, and he takes the time that he needs to try to convince us as readers that we have a problem that we cannot solve on our own. And this is how Paul puts it. He says that God made us and that God put some rules in place, that God put his law in place. And that we as people have chosen not to live up to that law. And because we have not lived up to that law, because we have chosen either to go our own way or because of just our inability to live up to that law, that has created a rift in our relationship between God, not only in this world, but also in the next. And that rift is something that needs to be solved. And Paul has been making the argument over the last few weeks that that is a rift we cannot solve on our own. Now, we're not really used to having problems that we think we can't solve on our own, are we? We like to think as a culture that there's no problem that can arise that we can't figure out some sort of solution to. And I think there's some good things about that. The way that we would rally around issues like climate change, the way that we would, we would rally together uh, to try to get rid of certain diseases and illnesses, to try to find a solution. I think that there's a lot of good aspects about that. But what has come to be in our culture is that we believe that there's really no problem that can present itself that we can't solve ourselves. And the idea that there is a problem that under our own strength and in our own ingenuity and in our own minds we cannot solve on our own is something that may not hit our ears right. Something that we may not like to hear. Something that may not seem like it fits with what we know about our culture. But I'd ask you this morning just to listen to what Paul has to say and to evaluate it. And then to not just reject it because Paul says we have an issue that we need help solving. Paul says, here's the deal. God put his rules in place. He put his law in place and we have not lived up to it. Whether we've chosen to reject it on purpose 
or whether we've tried to be moral people and we've just fallen short at different places, Paul's saying we haven't been able to live the way God has called us to live. And we would say to Paul, Paul, nobody's perfect. And that would be our excuse. Paul, nobody's perfect. And Paul would say back to us, exactly, that's what I'm saying. Nobody's perfect. And that's a problem for us. Because God calls us to live perfectly according to his law. And for the first few weeks that we've gone through Romans, everything has been trending in this direction. But this next section of verses that we're going to look at, everything begins to change. This is the turning point in Paul's letter. This is the pivot point. Everything's been going a certain direction. Paul's been talking over and over again how whether we choose to do it on our own, whether we choose to be immoral, whether we choose to be irreligious, or whether we try to be moral religious people, there's this problem we cannot solve on our own. We cannot live the way God has called us to live. In these verses, Paul begins to turn and everything begins to change. And he starts these verses with two simple words. And the two words that start these next verses we're going to read are the words but and the word now. And in those two words, Paul signals to us that everything else is about to be different. That when he's been talking about this path that we've been on, a path that leads to destruction, a path that doesn't end well, with these two words at the beginning of verse 21 of chapter 3, but now, Paul signals to us that everything is about to change. Paul signals to us that where he's been telling us time and time again that there is no solution under God's rules, that we cannot live good enough lives to impress God, that we cannot do anything to heal the rift that's been created between us and God. In these two words, Paul tells us that everything is about to change and that God has indeed come up with a solution that sits outside of the law. We're going to read Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31 together this morning. And the words will be up on the screen. There's also some Bibles uh, under the chairs in front of you. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is Paul saying to us, God has provided a solution And it's outside of the rules, outside of the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised, that's the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that's the rest, through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, I know that's a lot of words to try and take in. 
And it may be something that you would have to read a, a few more times to understand fully and take it all in. But I just want to say real simply this morning what Paul is saying. And it's right there in verse 22. This is what Paul says. God has indeed come up with a solution. And this is the turning point. And so what is it? What is the solution to, to salvation that God has provided? What is it that God has provided to heal the relationship gap between us and God, not only in this world, but the next? Well, this is what Paul says God has done. That Paul says salvation comes, first he says through faith. Through faith. We in our culture, uh, we put, we have faith. In fact, we put faith uh, in, in quite a few different things. We know what it's like to have faith. I would say when we have faith in something, we're trusting something to fix a problem we can't fix ourselves. So we know what it's like to have faith. For example, we put faith in our doctors that they will be able to come up with solutions uh, to help heal disease or to help make us more comfortable or to help take care of whatever will arise. So we know what that's like. We put faith in doctors. We put faith in technology, that technology is going to make this world a better place and to make things better. We put faith in education, that if we get a good education and we make our education system better, that things are going to be better in this world. So we know what it's like to put faith in things. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about putting our trust in something else or someone else to fix a problem that we cannot solve on our own. And we know what that's like. What Paul is about to tell us, though, is that it's one thing to have faith. It's quite another to make sure that your faith is being put in the right place. It's one thing to have faith, but we need to make sure that what we have faith in is the right thing to have faith in. And Paul would say to us, a lot of the things that we put our faith in as a culture and as people, as individuals, are fine to solve temporary things, but they cannot solve ultimate things. So we put our faith in our doctors, and we put our faith in medicine. And we put our faith in research. But the challenge we still face is that while life may be extended and our quality of life may be raised, we are not going to ever live forever. And even if we did find a way to live forever, at some point everybody tends to agree that this universe is going to end at some point. And so, although medicine can solve some things, it cannot solve ultimate things. We put our faith in things like technology. But doesn't it seem like the more technology we have, the more stress and problems we create? I bet many of the problems that we'll experience today we wouldn't have experienced 20 years ago because the technology to create those problems didn't exist 20 years ago when we're all frustrated this afternoon that our our Wi-Fi doesn't work in our houses and it consumes us, it's just a reminder that the technology that does great things, I love technology, does fantastic things, can provide some temporary solutions but doesn't provide ultimate solutions. And the same thing for education and things like that that we put our trust in. It solves some temporary things, but it does not solve ultimate solutions. Things. And Paul says to us, just make sure that when you put your faith in something, it's something that can actually fix the big problems that you're trying to 
fix. I heard the great preacher, Dr. Keller, say, uh, Dr. Tim Keller out of New York, he said, if I put feathers on my arms and I am extremely confident and I have total and complete faith that if I run off a pier uh, outside of Boston, let's say, if I run off a pier and flap my arms that I will make it to London, if I have extreme faith that that will happen, or if I have very weak faith and nervous faith, that if I board a plane at Logan Airport, it will get me to London. The second faith is actually the wiser of the two. Because what our faith goes into is extremely important. We need to make sure we're putting our faith into what can actually fix the problem. The plane is going to make it to London. Uh, The feathers on your arms are going to take you to the bottom of Boston Harbor. And so you have to make sure that your faith is in Something. So Paul says something that is right. So Paul says salvation comes through faith in, in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, listen, Jesus it was able to do what we could not do ourselves, in that he was the one that was able to come and able to live in this world perfectly the way that we could not. And so he came and lived on this earth, died on the cross, rose again, and he was able to accomplish in those actions what we were never able to accomplish whether we're really good people that are moral, religious people, or whether we've chosen to go a totally different way, it doesn't matter. None of us can work hard enough and be good enough, Paul would say, to fix the issue ourselves. And so Paul says, if you're going to put your faith in someone, put your faith in Jesus Christ, who has the ability to heal that relationship between us and God. And this is the last thing Paul says. Salvation comes through faith in Christ Jesus for those who believe. It's interesting here that Paul doesn't say for those who work really hard at it. Because Paul's recognizing, again, that there's nothing that we can do to make it right. This point, this is the point that separates the Christian belief system from every other belief system in the world. I think there's a tendency for our world to look at all belief systems and say, well, they're basically the same thing. But this is the uniqueness of Christianity, right here in this point. 2006, Warren Buffett said that he was going to donate 85% of his four point, no, $44 billion riches to charity upon his death. He wasn't going to do it before he died, because who could live on $12 billion? So upon his death, Warren Buffett is going to donate 85% of his $44 billion wealth to charity. That got me thinking this morning as I thought about how wealthy Warren Buffett is. If we took Warren Buffett, and let's say Warren Buffett called up Bill Gates. Today, I looked it up yesterday, Warren Buffett is worth $62 billion. If Warren Buffett called up Bill Gates... Who is worth $79 billion? And they got together and they said to each other, you know, we're the two richest men in the world. And our country has this massive national debt. We should pool all of our resources. I'll I'll sell everything that I have, Warren says, in Berkshire Hathaways and all the other businesses. And, And Bill Gates says, I'll sell everything I have in Microsoft and all the other businesses. And we'll take the cash. And we'll take all of that cash. And we won't donate it at the end of our lives. We'll take it right now. And we'll pay down 
the national debt. I checked this morning. Our national debt currently sits at $19.245 trillion. If the two wealthiest men in the world got together and pooled all of their resources, and they went down on Monday to wherever you would go in Washington, D.C., and present that check, and they cashed the check, then we would only have left as a country $19.1 trillion left to pay. See, the reality is, even if you got the richest people together in the world, there is a debt there that none of us can pay on our own. And Paul's saying it's the same thing between us and God. There is a debt there that none of us can pay on our own. And so if we boast in ourselves and say, I'm good enough, I can figure this out, I can fix it, I can fix it, Paul's saying we can't. The debt is too big. There's no possible way we could work up enough money, even if we got everybody together, that we could work up enough good works to pay off the debt that we owe. What we need is for someone else to come in and to do it for us. That's not a comment on paying down the national debt. That's just a comment on the gospel. What we need is for someone else to come in and do it for us. And what Paul says to us is if we are boasting in our good works, if we're boasting in our ability to do the right thing, we're like a man who is drowning, holding up a fist of $100 bills, and as he slowly sinks beneath the water's surface, says, it's okay, I've got money. It won't help us out of the situation. And for us to say, it's okay we have reason. It's okay we have education. It's okay we have technology. It's okay we have medicine. Doesn't fix the big issue that Paul is talking about. That is that all of us have a problem that we cannot solve on our own. None of us can live up to what God has asked us to do. And I think all of us have a sense inside of us that there's something that's not exactly right with this world. And there's something that's not exactly right inside of us. No matter what we say on the outside, the fact that we spend billions of dollars in self-help treatments, the fact that we spend billions of dollars in other areas to try and fix what we sense is wrong with the world and wrong inside of us. Says to me that all of us in our world and in our culture, we have that sense that just something is wrong and needs to be fixed. Paul would say to us, there is something that needs to be fixed. And the only one who can do it is Jesus Christ. Putting our faith in him, putting our belief in him, is the turning point in our lives. It's the turning point where we move from boasting in ourselves to boasting in him, from trusting in ourselves to trusting in him, from having an issue we cannot solve to knowing that he has solved it for us, to from following God's rules so that we hope that God likes us and accepts us, to following God's rules because we already know that he has loved us and accepted us. Christ is the turning point, Paul says. And if you want salvation, he says it comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. And I am very aware this morning that me believing that Jesus is the way makes me in our culture, in our world, 
quite the extremist. I understand that. That's the culture that we live in. That our culture would say those who believe that are radical, those who believe that are extreme, those who believe that are fill in the blank. But I believe that this is 100% true. And I believe that it's true for you as well. That you and I have a problem we cannot fix on our own. It doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how many good things that we do. That if we're relying on those things and our own ingenuity to fix it and to make things right with God, we'll never be able to do enough to get it done. We don't know where the line is. We don't know how good good enough is. We're not, it's, it's, it's not a, a clear system. But God has loved us enough that he has provided a way. That if we would trust in Jesus Christ, it would be a turning point for you as an individual. It would be a turning point for our communities. If we would trust in God, it would be a turning point for our nation. And so maybe this morning is a morning that would be a turning point for you. Maybe this morning is a morning where you've believed this in the past and you would come back today and say you believe it again. Maybe today is a day that you would say you've never believed this before, but you're willing to start pursuing it and give it a shot. Maybe today is a day that you just needed to have your faith uh, resurrected and empowered and be reminded of how much God loves you that he would send his son on your behalf. I'd invite you, would, if you would, just to pray with me as we close this morning. And I'm going to invite our worship team back up. God, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us on our own, but God, that you have provided a way for us. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. All of us who look at this world and we see the injustice and we see the hardships and we see the inequities and we look inside of ourselves and we see the challenges and the issues. And there's this sense that just something isn't the way it's supposed to be. Lord, I pray for all of us that if the real answer is in Jesus Christ, that you would make that abundantly clear to us. That if that is the answer that you provided, that you would make it known. And for those of us who believe, God, I pray that you would strengthen our belief. That in a world that would not agree with us, that we would be able to remain strong in you. God, help us to love each other the way you've called us to love each other. Help us to love you the way you've called us to love you. And we thank you this morning for the love that you've shown us through Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd invite you to stand with me if you would.